You are listening to The Bobcast, a golfing podcast, brought to you by The Open Times. It's The Bobcast, lucky 13th episode, feeling lucky we've made it to 13, feeling lucky we have a lot more than 13 listeners, and feeling lucky because we're all back together again for another recording session. I'm Stephen Day, learning one podcast at a time more about golf. And to keep the knowledge flowing in my direction, I am joined by our resident experts, Keith McIntyre, George Graham, and Fiona Scott. Welcome all. Hi, Hi Stevie. I'm, I'm dubious about this expert uh, introduction. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> I'm not alone. Yeah, I think I made three of us, to be honest. <laughs> You're all more expert than me. Straight into all things Bob, Welsh Open. He did okay, didn't he? Did he? Am I missing I something? If, I think if you ask Bob, he probably wouldn't say he did okay. Um, I, actually, I think the kiss of death was put on. You uh, uploaded the, the Bobcast about, I think, probably about three o'clock, four o'clock, Stevie, on last Thursday, just after he teed off. And I shared it and put something like, you know, and, and at the time I was watching Bob on the telly and he was in the joint lead at three under par. And I jokingly put, here's the latest Bob. Bobcast, this will probably put the, the kiss of death on Bob's chances. And from that moment on, he plummeted down the leaderboard. Um, so he went from joint lead to just about joint last at one point. Um, he made the cut. He had an absolutely awful round on the Friday. I think he was only, George, was he two or three shots off the lead at the end of Thursday, something yeah, like that? I think, I think um, and then it was, it was a Storm Ellen that, that blew through on uh, Friday, Friday morning, and he just had a, a, a nightmare, an absolute nightmare, and followed up with a 78. And I genuinely thought George and I were trading texts on, on Friday night. I think George had a couple of drinks in him at that stage because oh. the, language, the language was getting a bit fruity on these texts. But uh, we were saying he's going to miss the cup. And it wasn't until probably about eight o'clock that he, he actually scraped in on the cut line. Um, so he'd, uh, it, was, it was a difficult one. He, he had two reasonable rounds on, on Saturday and Sunday, but he finished, I think, about 58th, 59th. But it had looked very promising on the Thursday. And he's pulled out. He was due to play in the, in the UK Championships, uh, which starts on Thursday. But he's pulled out, which I suspect is probably because he had quite a disappointing time. He probably wants to work in some aspects of his game before he goes to Spain uh, next week. And the weather really didn't help him, did it? It was horrendous. It really was. I mean, it's the kind of thing that amateur golfers wouldn't even venture out on, but we're not getting paid to do it. So uh, it was pretty poor. And I think what also compounded, he, he uh, fired off a, a cryptic tweet uh, later on, I think when he thought he was going to miss the cut, and it was just a picture of a snail. So I think he was complaining about the about slow play. Uh, I don't know whether it was slow play with his partners or slow play in general, because that's all he did. He just he just tweeted a picture of a snail. But in that kind of weather, when people are putting on waterproofs, taking off waterproofs, you know, messing about with umbrellas, drying clubs, the pace of play gets very very slow. And one of his playing partners is notoriously slow, uh, Adrian Ortegi, I think his name is, who even the commentators in Sky were saying you know, he, he's a pretty slow player and Bob's far from slow. So I would imagine that frustration fed into his game as well. And is slow play a tactic ever? I mean, or is this just 
because of what you're describing, having to do things because of the wet? It's not a tactic. Some players are naturally slower than others. I mean, it's it's frightening how slow some rounds of golf are on the professional circuit. I mean, folk like us, amateurs, I mean, it's, when golf courses opened up after the, the pandemic, it was restri- restricted to two balls. And we were racing around the course in under three hours, two hours, 50 minutes. Around the professional golf now is frequently between five and six hours. You know, it's, it's absolutely dreadful. Um, and they've tried to eradicate it. The authorities have tried to eradicate it, but unless they start penalising players' shots um, for for taking too long, they're supposed to take a maximum of 40 seconds from the minute you are ready to play till you hit your shot. But it's that getting ready to play that seems to be holding up. They're consulting with caddies, they're consulting with yardages, they're calling for referees' rulings. It's... It's not a tactic. It's just it's just painful to watch. And are there sanctions? I mean, if if I were to play golf, it'd take me longer than forty seconds. I'm sure to get ready. But you say that you know there's nothing put in place. But what happens if I take or George takes two minutes to set up in a professional game? The, the, each match is a referee following it, and and they do a thing called they put, if you fall behind the group in front, they'll they'll put you on the clock. And at that stage, you've been you're told you need to speed up play, and if you don't speed up play, you will get penalised. I'm not sure if it's a shot or, or two shots, but it never happens. They end up fining players for slow play, and, you know. And a lot of these players are multi multi millionaires, so fining them twenty thousand dollars or twenty thousand euros is not the sanction. The sanction is a two shot penalty, and you might miss the cut and not win the tournament. But they're very reluctant to take them on like that. I'm, I'm not sure if anyone's ever been penalised shots for it. I was looking at the prize money for for Wales. There's a lot of discrepancy with prize money between thousands of pounds and tens of thousands of pounds. But I also noticed that the um, the Wales Open, there was a prize money of uh, 2,629. I'm not sure whether this was for Bob, but um, there, was one f- I, Bob. there was one for Qatar which I expected much more, that was just £3,800. But then you've got stuff going up to 45000 in Mexico. There's a huge difference in the amounts. Why Why is that? Why is Wales and Qatar cheap? <laughs> <laughs> why is Wales cheap? Uh, I mean, there's, the pandemic has forced the European Tour to scrap a lot of tournaments. Uh, the, the, the UK Championship that's on this week um, has got a total prize fund of, I think it's a million euros. Um, last year, the equivalent tournament had a prize fund of three and a half million euros. So a lot of it's to do with the pandemic. But different tournaments always attract different prize pots, uh, depending on the standing of the tournament. I mean, Majors, he's played in the US Open a couple of weeks' time, and I think the prize pot for that's $12 million. So, you know, finishing in the top 10 in the US Open is probably is going to pay you an awful lot more money than winning the UK Championship because of the standing of the tournaments. I know in a lot of other sports, prize money depends on, you know, media, TV coverage, all that. Does that not count in golf as well? You'll get more sponsorship money coming in for the prize pot if they know it's going to be covered on telly. That's why the, the different tiers you've got your majors, uh, are, are the ones with the biggest pots and then you have the World Golf Championships uh, which I think there's four of and they're the next tier and then you go into 
the sort of standard tour events. And you'll find that the bigger events get covered all over the world, whereas the standard tour events might only see coverage in the UK or, or you know, Spain or whatever. So that obviously attracts the big sponsors to bump up the prize money. So we've got Spain next. What's Bob's prospects for that, do we think, George? Well, I think a lot depends on how he gets over his uh, performance last at the weekend. Um, but he obviously... As Keith said, he's obviously taken this weekend out to work in some parts of his game. I think there must be a he must be having to look at mentally um, how he how he comes back from what was quite a, a dreadful day on Friday. He played, I think, on Sunday he played a bit better, um, but I think the he already had that that bad day sort of logged in his head, and I don't think he, he was he uh, found it easy to get rid of it. So I think that's that. I think that's uh, how he copes with coming back from that. How, what he d- does with his game, uh, probably some sessions with his coach, and and how he copes with getting over it mentally is is a big deciding factor on how well he, he plays. And that, if he does go to Spain, because I mean it's a couple of weeks away, he could he could well decide not to go that as well. Is he allowed to travel back in the meantime, George? Could he come back here and spend some time with his, um, his family and friends? Uh, well, he's, he's in the UK at the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the the rules seem to be different for golfers than anybody else, and I think it's because of the, the amount of testing that they get done. Um, so, I I would imagine this week he'll be um, he'll, he'll be he'll be in the UK anyway, probably uh, through sessions with his coach. But he, he won't be coming back to the UK after Spain. I don't think. I think he'll head straight over to the States mm-hmm. for the US Open. Um, you know, so he, he won't. He won't have to go into quarantine in the UK because he's travelling to Spain. So, and um, whether he'll meet, he he did need to go into self isolation in the states when he went over earlier on, but they're now getting such regular testing. I think he's probably safe to go straight straight from Spain to America and start playing in the US Open. And this is his debut US Open. Yes, yeah, he's third major in total. So he's played in the the Open, the British Open. He played in the US PGA, and now this is the the US Open, which, as I say, I think it's got twelve million dollars in, in prize money. So that'd be a nice one to get a top ten finish. So no pressure. No pressure. No. Actually, that's that's a fair point, Stevie. You know, I think George is talking about the, the sort of mental side of things, and I've got absolutely no insight into to Bob's. The, the mental side of Bob's game, but there are definitely expectations on him this year, which there weren't last year. He came onto the tour and I think he, he really blew everyone away and surprised everyone with how well he did. But he's now, you know, he's one of the guys to catch now. So it's a different sort of mental side to the game for him. Bob, if you're listening, hopefully this podcast isn't the kiss of death for <laughs> Yeah, apologies for that. Sorry. We we're we're really sorry. We'll we'll sort out the weather next time. <laughs> Now, he's not the only one who's got exciting news because I believe Fiona has exciting news about golf. Do tell. <laughs> well, I just got to feeling last week, and I laugh because you're calling me an expert. I'm not. I'm certainly not an expert golfer because I've never played before. My expertise comes from covering years and years of sports uh, events and golf coverage. So that's, that's that. But I thought to have some kind of purpose on this podcast that I'd try and learn to play the game. Uh, That's so, never worried me or George having a purpose <laughs> in this podcast. I don't know why you're bothered about that. Yeah, well, I think Stevie brought me in to add some class here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yes, I've been busy. I know uh, from from November the uh, handicapping rules are going to be changing, so we'll be moving to the new world handicapping system. And 54 will be a maximum for, for all golfers, uh, no matter your sex or age or, or whatever. So I thought it'd be nice if I could maybe try and get a 53 handicap by the end of next June, when I just happened to turn 53. Um, so in order to do that, um, I've been speaking to the clubs and working out a way that they can uh, kind of work a miracle over me. But they've been really, really good about it. I've had a lot of feedback from Dalmali and Craig Muir, so I'm going out there. And I come back my holidays, I'm off the next two weeks, but when I come back from that, I'm going over there and they're going to give me lessons and they're going to let me play around and they're going to give me some honest feedback, brutally honest feedback on how my golf's going. By the time the end of this season comes, I'll hopefully get a wee bit feel for it and then I'll start up next April and see if I can get this handicap sorted. That's brilliant. Well, we'll see. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged because uh, the guys uh, from from both clubs, uh, Graham McKechnie at Dalmali, who just won uh, the Dalmali Championship last week, uh, he's going to take me around there. And Barry Wenman and their club captain, Steve, they're going to take me around and Steve's going to give me a couple of lessons as well. So, And, and my neighbours even flinging golf shoes and golf clubs at me. So. <laughs> well, uh, I spoke to George earlier on and he said just buy yourself a set of golf clubs and charge it to your expenses. He'll sign that off, no bother at all, Fiona. So just knock yourself out. Oh, great. Well, I was going to have a wee word with George about that. So that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the forms here already. So, George has um, actually just fainted. I can see it. I see him taking a big gulp of water anyway. So. Try, try to stop swearing. <laughs> and the great thing is, Fiona, you're going to make um, some recordings of this, so we're going to be able I'm to going follow to make you. Some recordings. Uh, uh, I'll be asking them how they think I've done, and then they'll get a wee bit chance to speak about their own clubs and what they're doing. Uh, so yes, yeah, so it'll be it'll be fun. Very interesting. Thoroughly looking forward to that segment yeah, of the Bobcast. Well done, Fiona. <laughs> George, Keith, how's your golfing been this week? Yeah, I played on Sunday. Uh, actually, played not too bad. Um, just a, a bounce game. I wasn't. I've not played in any competitions this year. I haven't said that. I don't think I finished any competitions last year. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> so yeah, it, it was quite. Uh, the weather wasn't too bad. There was a bit of rain, but. I had a good day and I played quite quite well, I think. Uh, I was going to say, just out of interest, what are you two's handicaps? I'm 19. I'm going upwards. I, I'm seven and I'm just bothered mm. about that all the time. So, But uh, I, I didn't play at all at the weekend, which I think it's the first weekend and uh, other than the, the uh, pre-pandemic that I haven't played. So pesky family stuff got in the road. So um, I'm supposed to be playing later on today, but I'm looking out my window at the moment, watching the rain bouncing down, and it doesn't look particularly attractive. So that leads us nicely on, Keith, because you wanted to discuss adverse weather conditions. Did I? Yep. You you sent (laughs) me a note and said I'd like to discuss adverse weather conditions. Do we not kind of cover that at the time? I, I mean, I, do you want me to film my, my round if I go out in this pouring rain? Do you want me to film that round? Yes, absolutely. Or at least yeah. audio record it. Let's let's have a few sounds of raindrops and thunder. And no, it's. I mean, it is. It's tough. To, 
most people can play golf in the rain. It's when you get the combination of wind and rain. That is when it becomes an, an absolute nightmare. And that's what happened to Bob at the weekend. You get, you know, 40, 50 mile an hour driving winds and lashing rain. You can't keep your, even with a caddy, it's difficult to keep your clubs dry and things like that. And when I was watching the tournament, it was things I was learning just from the commentators. They were saying if there's, if there's water gets between your club face and the ball, all sorts of things, strange things happen to the ball. These guys can land the ball on the sixpence generally. You know, they, they know to within a yard how far they hit each club, but apparently if you get water between the club face and the ball, it can fly another 30 yards and it can come up 20 yards short and things like that. So it is a much more challenge. I mean, golf is a game that's designed to be played in shorts and a t-shirt. Uh, in, in Turkey with a beer, as far as I'm concerned, I'm sure that's not a professional way to look at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you want is no wind. That, that's the thing. And if you look at links courses, which are the coastline courses, most of them, if they don't have wind, are pretty easy to play. But when you get a wind blowing off the sea, even 15 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, it just completely changes the way these courses play. I was stopped by news headlines about Sofia Popov, who won the uh, Women's Open. I don't know if you heard about it, but she fell into this. She wasn't going to qualify, but mm. she managed to fall into this but through luck, and she's really managed to prove what she can do. Did any of you pick up on this? I watched bits of it. I don't know if, if you guys saw any of it or not. I, I saw bits of it. I mean, the weather was horrendous at Troon as well. I mean, it was... Uh... But she did remarkably well just to, you know, I think everyone expected her to crumble on her final round. Um, but it says a hell of a lot for her that she kept going against some of the best players in the world. Uh, and I think, was she ranked 330th in the world before she went into the... It was, it was very high, certainly. Uh, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it shows you that the stand... I mean, I was hugely impressed by the standard of the golf that was on display and the scoring in those conditions. It was... It was quite breathtaking some of the, the ball striking that was going on so uh, I mean the, the the women's game has come on massively in the last 10-15 years and the scoring is tremendous. Um, according to the BBC her only real error of the day was trying to enter the scorer's hut without wearing a face mask. <laughs> well, <laughs> if that's your only error then that's right um, stats question I'm not sure if this will make it into the final edit so are you ready for this George because you're the stat man. <coughs> Allegedly. What's the highest recorded golf ball hit? It is. George, are you, you googling that? Your keyboard and you Google. Wait, no, I did. I did. Um, <laughs> two hundred seventeen miles. Well, two hundred seventeen point one miles per hour. Um, I got by a guy called Ryan Winter. Um, that's the fastest recorded speed, two thousand and thirteen. So what? R right, just be before we get. Uh... Loads of folk phoning in. I've got here, now I don't know if this counts or not, but there's a guy called Connor Powers who recorded a 226 mile an hour drive in the 2014 World Long Drive Championships. Well, I think I just, this was... Oh, wait a minute, guys. This is all over the shop. Now, you've got a, Are we talking about the length of the drive? Are we talking about the club head speed? Are we talking about the ball speed? Because they're all different things. Yeah. Right, Stevie, what, so what is, what is it, Stevie? I'm looking for ball speed, but I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking at, at you know how fast you can you know fire a golf ball out of a cannon or something. So I mean, I'm talking about in a genuine game hitting the little white thing with a little wooden metal thing. 
How fast can you get it? Mines doesn't count and because it wasn't a genuine game, it was the World Long Drive Championships. Fair enough. So here's the here's the really big question. George, how fast do you think your maximum has been? I really wouldn't be able to tell you, Stevie, if I'm honest. I would imagine I mean, according to the, the website I'm looking at at the moment, amateur golfers, the average amateur golfer uh, it's uh, it's ball speed of 147 miles per hour. Well, I don't think I'm going to be anywhere near that. I think I'm probably near the female with a handicap. If you, if you go to a pro or go to get your clubs fitted, they'll measure your the club head speed before they'll measure the ball speed that comes off. And I think your average golfer um, has got a club head speed of somewhere around about the mid-90s compared to the professionals who've got a club head speed of 120, 125 uh, uh, miles an hour and we were talking last week about the freak of nature that is Bryson DeChambeau he uh, was recorded at 137 miles an hour um, and these guys are just absolutely killing it and the ball's getting launched off at 200 miles an hour as, as Fiona said even even without it being in the long drive championship these guys are still hitting it on tour at close to 200 miles an hour uh, the ball's coming off the club so um, it's just it's Frightening, absolutely frightening the way these guys hit the golf ball. I suppose speed isn't everything, though, is it, or is it? When you're first, when you're trying to get down, and you, you know, you've got a par three or whatever, is is speed the most important thing? Obviously, accuracy comes in. Is if you if you talk to Big Bryson, all he's interested in is hitting the ball as far as he possibly can because he reckons. If he's left for the short iron in the green, it doesn't matter if he's in the rough or in the, the bunker or whatever. Uh, so he doesn't put the same premium on accuracy as a lot of other players play. And there's, a, there's quite a worrying trend in just trying to hit the ball as far as you possibly can. And it's taken, potentially taking some of the skill out of the game. Um, but for, for folk like us, and Fiona will discover this when she, uh, when she starts taking lessons, trying to hit the ball really hard and really far is the it's a killer for most amateur golfers you've got to have rhythms everything it's not about how fast you swing the club it's all about rhythm and longevity and you being able to play the game or play around because if you if you knock yourself out on the first three holes but your back's done by the time you get because you're hitting it so hard i suppose that comes into it as well there'd be a lot of back problems in, in golf a lot of these guys i mean tiger woods is famous for all the back problems he had because he had one of the fastest uh, swing speeds going around uh, so yeah it's a common common thing okay silly question of the week it's not on your running orders casual water what is it because i didn't know this one this was a new one to me what are you put in your whiskey stevie just casual <laughs> water is it <laughs> Well, looking again, looking out my window just now, our golf course is going to be covered in casual water this afternoon. It's just a puddle. It's just, that's all. It is a puddle, isn't it? It is. It's just not a water hazard that's been built. I I thought that was very funny. Because there was a big explanation on it which said, you know, an accumulation of water in the golf course that's not part of a water hazard. Generally, you encounter casual water after heavy rains. The player is allowed to move the ball without penalty. The next guy down had gone, it's a puddle. <laughs> How come you're allowed to move your ball? Because it's impossible to play out of a puddle. So that's simple. That's simple yeah, answer. It is that simple. Is, it, that is simple. this to do with the water getting in between your uh, your club and the, the golf ball again? or? 
It, well, it is, but if you're in a puddle, sometimes you can't even see your ball. It's below the surface of the water. So um, you do get you do get guys who chance it because it's it's quite a ambiguous definition and you'll get guys if you happen to be 20 stone and you put your foot down you can actually squeeze a bit of water up more than if you were 11 stone so you'll get guys saying oh there's water here i can see the water coming up and you'll can i get a drop from this so it can be used creatively creatively i like that guys that's our time up thank you very much for all your advice i've learned more believe it or not you're going to cut uh, george's swear now or are you going to leave it in well, you know, it depends. George, what do you feel? Do you feel that, that we could get away with leaving your swearing in? I did I swear? I didn't. I said I'd do it without even it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's been a pleasure once again. Thank you for your time, and we'll see you next time on the Bobcast. See you later. The Bobcast was presented by Stephen Day, Keith McIntyre, George Graham, and Fiona Scott. The editor was Stephen Day. And it was a YVEX Media production for The Open Times. You can contact the programme by emailing bobcast at opentimes.co.uk.